this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you about Third Love's 24-7 t-shirt bra. It is the most comfortable bra I have ever owned. It's super smoothing and invisible under every outfit. The cups are made out of memory foam, so it molds to your shape to truly give you the perfect fit. It has tagless foam padded hook and eyes and a smoothing microfiber band. It is not a medieval torture device, and it doesn't squeeze you like a boa constrictor. It's actually comfortable. Third Love stands behind this product so much that they're willing to let listeners try this bra for free. You just have to pay $1 for shipping. You wear it for 30 days. You can take the tags off, wear it, wash it, do whatever you need to do to really try this bra out. If you love it, keep it, and they'll charge your card. If you don't love it, send it back for free, and your card will not be charged. And if you don't know your size, a friendly online fit specialist will help you find your perfect fit. Third Love has your back, or in this case, they have your front. Go to www.thirdlove.com books to get started. All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 46, and today we are talking about books released on March 22nd, 2016. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Book Riot's managing editor, Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hi! Hi, lady! How's it going? Welcome! I've never been on this show before. I'm excited. Yeah, you're you're the very second guest that we've ever had. Um, our first guest was Jen Northington, your other half of Get Booked, which is your awesome podcast. Would you like to tell us about that? Sure. Uh, Get Booked is a personalized reading recommendation show hosted by myself and Jen Northington, who is a oh, no, is. velocireader, not quite like Liberty, but she's up there. Um <laughs> and she's a bookseller extraordinaire who has a recommendation for any and all questions that you could possibly have. So she's a perfect host um, for the show. So you just send us your reading recommendation requests, whether they're for you or for your book club or for a gift you want to give someone or whatever. Um, and we answer them on the show. So you can give them to me on t- send me your questions on Twitter. Um, I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson. You can email them to us at getbooked at bookriot.com or you can just go to the get book section of the, the website uh, and drop it in the form that's at the bottom of each post. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. If we don't have a recommendation for you, then we ask the Book Riot contributors. There are over a hundred of them. So uh, there's always something we can recommend for you, no matter how specific or out of left field or strange or hair splitty your question is. And we get some specific and strange and hair splitty questions and those are our favorites. So yeah. Like, what kind of books should my raccoon read if he likes parasailing? Mm-hmm. Lumberjanes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> See? Perfect. Perfect <laughs> answer. Right there. <laughs> All right. Well, are you ready? Because I'm, yes. I'm ready. I'm going to kick us off. Um, my first book is called Rush O! Exclamation point. It doesn't actually say exclamation point, but it's like Rush O! And it's by Shirley Barrett. Now, she's an award-winning Australian filmmaker and director. And this is her debut novel, it takes place in 1908 in New South Wales in Twofold Bay, which is an actual place. Um, I, at the end of the book, she explains, like, this is based on true events. These are based on true people. Um, and it takes place during the harshest whaling seasons that the community had seen. Uh, it's narrated by 19-year-old Mary Davidson. She 
is in charge of her five sisters and brothers while her father leads the whalers um, during whaling season. They go out and, you know, they search the seas for whales because um, this like we don't really use a lot of whale blubber now. But <laughs> back then, you know, that's what they use for everything. Um, and so she is in charge of like the cooking and the cleaning and they feed the whalers when they come in from their excursions and one day, a man named John Beck shows up at the door. He is a former Methodist preacher, and he's looking to be an oarsman. He doesn't have any experience, but he's, he wants to do something different with his life. And so Mary's 19, and she thinks he's cute. So there's some, some giggling going on there. Um, and it's just about this that season of whaling, um, the things that go on on the shore and things that go on off the shore. The real stars of the book are killer whales. Like, this is a real thing. I didn't realize this. Um, but these are real things that killer whales actually do. They're, the only thing I know about killer whales are, like, SeaWorld and that Nico Case song. So, you know, I was <laughs> just like, I have no idea. But I would go so far as to call them maybe the sociopaths of the sea. Yes, they are yeah. so jerky. Yeah. They're like, horrible. But not just, like, to, to people. Like, so basically what happens is... Um, they will alert the the whalers to a larger whale. <laughs> and then the the men get in the boats and they go out and they harpoon the whale. And the whale's like, I don't like that. So he takes off. And so they pursue the whale. And while that's happening, the killer whales are, like, nipping at the larger whale and, like, hanging on the line and, like, trying to drag it down and just really antagonizing the poor creature um, until, you know, the whale dies and... Then the the whalers let the killer whales eat what they want off the whale and then bring it in. It's kind of like this working relationship that they have. Um, it's crazy. And they sometimes, like, if they can't find a whale, they'll, like, the whalers will slap the water and ask the killer whales for help. Like, they, they actually interact. Like, they're almost like people. There was a very famous whale in New South Wales at this time called Tom, and he's a character in the book. Um, he even had his own obituary when he died in 1930 because he was so beloved by the community. Um... There is, so yes, there's some whale killing, which was a little upsetting, but, you know, I'm like, okay, historic whale killing, you know, go with it. It's it's actually really funny, despite that, um, and sweet and and wonderful. Uh, I really loved it, and like I said, it is based on true events that took place, and yeah, when I first, I don't usually read, like, the synopsis of books anymore, um, but I did see it in a catalog, and I had it in my head that, like, it was a book that took place in 1980. So when I started reading it, I was like, <laughs> these people really need to, like, update <laughs> what they're doing. And then I was like, oh, 1908. I should have my brain checked. Um, anyway, like I said, it's awesome. And again, it's called Rush O! Exclamation point uh, by Shirley Barrett. Word. <laughs> so you have a big, exciting book yes. coming up here. Yeah, okay. So my first one is called The Nest. It's by Cynthia Dupree Sweeney, and it's from Echo. And I really just like saying her name, Cynthia Dupree Sweeney. It sounds so fancy. It's got an apostrophe in it. Um, and it's got a really great cover, which is not relevant to anything, except it looks nice on my shelf, and I, I really like it. It's shiny and, like, gilded. Anyway, nothing to do with the book. So the book is about rich New Yorkers and their problems, which is, like, wealthy, waspy... New Englanders and their their non-issues, like their non-life problems, is like a weird subgenre that I really enjoy. So if you are at all a fan of like Maine by J. Courtney Sullivan or Seating Arrangements by Maggie Shipstead, then this will be like right up your alley. So it's about 
the Plum family. Uh, there are four siblings who are grown up. They're all in middle age and they all have their own um, like financial problems that they've gotten themselves into. And they've been taking all of these risks and making all these horrible decisions because they have a trust fund coming. And the trust fund that their parents set up um, was meant to be dispersed when the youngest of the siblings turned 40, I think, or 41. And so the trust fund was meant to be just a modest midlife supplement, maybe to help pay for their kids' college education or whatever. But the, the stock market um, soared, and so the value of the nest, which is what they call their trust fund, also went up to be in the millions. And as they've watched that happen, they've started making all these stupid decisions in their life. And then the st- um, so, and then there's like a family tragedy. The oldest of the Plum siblings, is, his name is Leo. He's an alcoholic and a drug addict, and he's a kind of out-of-work media um, CEO. So he actually he starts like a book website that he sells for a bunch of money, and then he goes crazy, which working for a book website made me a little nervous. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> And his marriage falls apart, and the book opens with him leaving a wedding, a family wedding, with a 19-year-old waitress while he's totally drunk and stoned out of his mind, and there's a big car accident, and she loses a foot in the accident, the waitress does. And to keep her quiet, they give her a financial settlement out of the nest. And this is a decision that this is the Plum family's mother, so like the matriarch, makes without consulting the other siblings. So she pays them off with most of the money out of the nest, meaning the other siblings have nothing um, and have to deal with the stupid decisions that they've made in their lives up to this point. So the youngest, Melody, is a wife. She bought a house she couldn't afford. She wants to send her children, her two twin daughters who are now teenagers, to expensive private schools. She can't afford it. Jack is a son. He's an antiques dealer. He's been secretly borrowing money against a cottage that he owns with his husband, Walker, um, in order to keep his antique store afloat. And now he can't pay back the equity loan that he's taken out on the cottage that he's been hiding. Um, There's Bia, who's a short story writer who can't get herself together to finish her overdue novel. She's running out of money. Now she doesn't have the nest to depend on. And so they have to um, pressure Leo to pay them back. And it's just all of these family tensions and drama and secrets, but it's very satisfying because in a lot of these books, you watch these people who are selfish and wealthy and don't know what it's like to like live in the real world and all these things. Um, and they're just horrible. Like they're all just horrible people and you just want to see them kind of get their comeuppance. You read them for the schadenfreude or whatever. But these people have dug themselves into holes and they realize it. And so you watch them grow as characters, which is really refreshing. Uh, the ending is very satisfying though. So I won't go on about it anymore, but I really loved it. Uh, it's a great beach read actually, even though it's coming out, you know, right now, but I maybe save it for the beach. Cause I think it would be good for that. So that's the nest by Cynthia Dupree Sweeney. Uh, there is like that. five <laughs> inches of snow outside my window right now. I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> I'm, like, I thought we were getting closer to the beach, but now we've gone a few steps back. Um, before I tell you about my next book, I'm going to talk about our first sponsor. Uh, Viceland is back. Viceland is a new TV channel from Vice, which is the culture website magazine. And Viceland launched on February 29th. Whenever I say things about February 29th, it seems like it's not a real date, like it's a made-up date. But <laughs> it's a true thing. This is an actual TV show that, or a TV channel that exists. Um, and they have a ton of awesome shows. Uh, as I mentioned before, my favorites so far are Flophouse, uh, created by Lance Banks, which films up-and-coming comedians doing shows in their homes and garages and yards and all over the place. Um, it's it's really great. You know, they kind of live in squalor and do beer bongs and, you know, sleep, you know, three to a room. And, you know, it's awesome. It, but they're also, like, really funny. So 
I wish that I had also been really funny and living like that and not just living like that. Um, but they're really great. It's hilarious. And I also really enjoy Gaycation, which is hosted by actress Ellen Page and her best friend Ian Daniel. They travel all over the world, uh, diving into LGBTQ cultures in places like Japan and Brazil and smaller towns in America and talking about the multiplicity of LGBTQ experiences, um, the fact that there are many, many ways to experience what it is to be queer and the different cultures that arise around queerness uh, or the different cultures that tamp it down and what it's like to be gay or queer in a culture that frowns upon or even where it's illegal. Um, most of these shows are deep dives into culture in some way. There's Weedy Kit, which is about marijuana, people, and politics in the U.S. Noisy is about music. Uh, the, my, another of my favorites is Fox That's Delicious, but it's not Fox, actually. Um, <laughs> and it's rapper Action Bronson, who is like one of the last people you would think of being a chef, but he loves to cook and talks about food and rapping. Um, Balls Deep, in which the host, Thomas Morton, tries on a different person's life in each episode. Um, it's sort of like Quantum Leap, really. But not really. He's not. It's not like Quantum Leap. Um, every show is about culture and other cultures and other experiences, and they're all really interesting. Um, there's the one with Michael Williams. I love him. Um, but I have been learning so much. So you can go to Viceland.com to watch trailers to check out first episodes. And, of course, look for Viceland in your cable package if that's a thing that you do. Um, we'll have a link in the show notes as well. Flophouse is on Thursdays at 1030 uh, Gaycation is on Wednesdays at 10 and is followed by Balls Deep at 11. That's all p.m., not a.m. Uh, and you can find the full listing of all the shows on Viceland.com. And we thank them for sponsoring the show. Yay! They sh- I hope they have a book one. They should have, like, a book culture one. You could be the host. Are you listening, Viceland? It would cut in enough on- tattoos <laughs> to be on Vice. <laughs> it would cut in on my reading time, though. That's true. That's I'd be true. like, go away today. I'm reading. The show is just Tattooed Liberty Reads Books. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it'd be great. It's like when Nick Offerman just drinks whiskey and looks at the camera. It's, oh my gosh, it's, it's that really was my good. my Christmas um, like Yule log video that I played <laughs> in the background while everyone ate dinner. It was amazing. Exactly. So speaking of amazing, mm. segue. Nice, nice. Uh, my next book is called No One Knows by J.T. Ellison. Like that's the actual title of the book. It's not that we don't know what it's called. <laughs> um, it's called No One Knows, and it's one of those books that, of course, I can't say much about because. There's all kinds of things going on, and I don't want to give anything away. But basically, it's about a woman named Aubrey Hamilton, and it opens with her finding out that her mother-in-law, her evil, evil mother-in-law, has declared Aubrey's husband, Joshua, legally dead in the state of Tennessee. Um, He's been missing for five years. No one knows what happened to him. Is he dead? Is he alive? Was he sucked up by a UFO? No one knows. So it's been five years, and she doesn't want to believe that he's dead um, basically what happened is they checked into a hotel one day uh, for a friend's wedding. He went off to the bachelor party. She went to the bachelorette party. No one ever saw him again. There is no clues. She's a suspect, but nobody, like, has any evidence. Nobody knows what happened to him. Um, and she doesn't want to believe that he's dead. But her friends and family really think it's time for her to move on. It's been five years. Uh, and then she meets this cute guy in a diner. And he seems familiar to her. And she's really comfortable with him. And she finds him very comforting. And she starts hanging out with him. Um, and then her brother shows up fresh out of prison. He's kind of a sketchy character. Um, and you just get glimpses of Aubrey's life when she was young. Um, growing up, she didn't have an ideal family life. And then she met Josh. Uh, she's He's her high school sweetheart. Um, and you see how his mother has always tried to keep them apart. Like, seriously, his mother is the worst. She's just absolutely the worst. Um, and it's about their marriage and how she thought that they had a perfect marriage. And... 
Now, where is he? Did he run off with someone else? She can't even fathom the idea. Like, she thinks that their marriage was ideal and he would never do that to her. Um, and it's just, like, this twisty, turny, fun. And then you get to the end and I was like, what? Like, spo- <laughs> like spoiler, I never figured it out. I'm like, oh, it's this. But, wait, no, it's this. No, it's this. I, I never figured it out. Um, and then when you get to the end and you find out the reveal, I went right back and started reading it over because I was like, damn. <laughs> so, it's really fun. It's it. I was thinking, like, it's really fun to, like, close out winter with, you know, a really fun thriller. But now, five inches of snow outside my house. So, so now it's fun to read a thriller during winter. Um, again, it's called No One Knows by J.T. Ellison. Winter now you! Me! Okay, so my next pick, I love this book so much. It's called The Association of Small Bombs. It's by Karen Mahajan, and I don't know who the publisher is. Oh, it's from Viking. Um, so this book is about small those kind of small bombs that go off on like markets around the world that never make the news because you know they quote unquote only kill five or ten people and only injure a dozen people and there are they're so frequent that you know americans just are tired of hearing about them so it's that sort of situation that's sent that is like the center of this novel it's about two brothers tushar and nakul who are schoolboys. they live in delhi and they are going to this big uh, market bazaar in town to pick up their TV, their family's TV from a repair shop. And they're with their school boyfriend, uh, whose name is Mansoor. It's 1996, and then a bomb goes off in the market. Uh, and this is in the first chapter, so this is not a spoiler. This is, like, how the book opens. The two boys, the two sons die, and Mansoor, their friend, survives. So the book continues from there. You're following the parents of the two siblings who have died. They were their only children, so they've lost their only children. Uh, the parents of Mansoor, the survivor... Um, you follow the surviving boy Mansoor as he grows up and has to deal with the physical side effects or the physical effects of surviving the bomb. He's got a lot of, um, he has, you know, shrapnel. He had an injury in one of his hands. He's got nerve damage, his stuff with his hearing. Um, so he has to deal with the psychological effects and the physical effects. There's the psychological effects of having lost his two friends. He's got a lot of survivor's guilt, uh, when the boys, when he gets up and realizes that the boys are dead, he leaves them there and runs, and that because that's his instinct. He's twelve years old, and he just runs away, and so he has a lot of guilt that he carries um, about leaving them there uh, in the marketplace that he has to deal with as he grows up. And then uh, you are also following the bomb makers, the men who planted the bomb in the market, and why they did that, why they felt justified in doing that. And um, you follow one of them through his arrest. uh, And then through a series of really twisty and turny events, Mansoor gets kind of involved um, with one of the terrorists. He doesn't know that he's the person who um, set the bomb off. And then he finds out and it's just really like complicated and twisty. And the point of this novel, for, for me anyway, I don't know if it was his intended point, but, you know, the author is dead, so who cares? Not literally dead, I meant, like, the critical concept of the author being dead. I think he's very much alive. Um, is the cyclical nature of terrorism and violence and what and how it's just more complicated than, especially in the American press, how we make it out to be, you know, people who make bombs are evil. And um, that's the end of that. And while there is truth to that, there's also reasons complicated reasons having to do with politics and poverty and, you know, things that people in the U.S. don't necessarily understand or want to admit. We don't ever want to admit the humanity of of terrorists. And that's what this novel is getting at. And it's a tough read. I've got two boys. And so, like, 
reading a book that opens up with the death of two boys was so hard for me. And I actually put it down for like two weeks because I just couldn't handle it. But then I was so like intrigued that I picked it back up. And it's just so fascinating and, and difficult but and necessary and well-written. I just liked it a lot. So that's, well, liked is a weird word. Um, appreciated it. <laughs> so it's The Association of Small Bombs by Karan Mahajan. Done. All right. I had to mute it because I, I really needed a drink and then I couldn't find the <laughs> mute button. I was like, oh no, no, she's going to stop and I'm not going to have anything to say. Okay, here I am. I'm back. Hi. Welcome back. Welcome back to your show. Um, there's a lot of, of murder and bombs and death and war in this show. <laughs> like murder, every bombs time. and death and war. Whee. Yeah. Um, my next book is called The Summer Before the War. It's by Helen Simonson. Um, she wrote the wonderful book Major Pettigrew's Last Stand. You might be familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Um, her new book takes place in East Sussex in England in 1914. Uh, it is the perfect summer in this idyllic little beach town. Um, medical student Hugh is visiting his aunt Agatha. I kind of feel like she was like, what are the most British names I can think of? Mm. Hugh and Agatha. So he, he was visiting his aunt Agatha, and Agatha's husband works in the foreign office and has been talking about the Balkans, but Agatha is not really paying attention. She's more concerned with the new Latin master, um, a woman named Beatrice. Uh, Agatha had endorsed her. Uh, you know, she really wanted a woman for the position, um, and now she's worried uh, when Beatrice shows up, she's beautiful and free thrink- free, that's hard to say. Free thinking, free thinking, and she's kind of moody. And now Agatha is really worried that uh, Beatrice is going to like ruin her reputation. Um, and just as all these characters are settling into the end of summer, uh, World War One begins. So, um, yeah. So this is just really a beautiful, thoughtful look at people during wartime, uh, right before and also right after. Um, and the effect that war has on relationships, whether it's a romance or whether it's with your family. Um, it's also a really astute take on life after war. Uh, Simonson is just, like, a really wonderful writer, and she weaves fiction into historic events like a master. Um, I do have, like, 50 pages left. I haven't quite finished it. I've been reading chunks of it at a time. So everyone could be eaten by a runaway hippopotamus. It happens. Um, but I'm going to guess that it probably stays awesome all the way through. Um, again, it is called The Summer Before the War by Helen Simonson. And, oh, look, that brings us to our next sponsor. Mm-hmm. I miss I missed my cue last time. I know you were like, what, what is she doing? I okay. was just following the document <laughs> that you sent yeah, no. me. I, I'm wild. I'm a loose cannon. You can't tell. <laughs> Rebecca will be back next week to keep me in check. Um, so our last sponsor is FabFitFun. They are back again. FabFitFun is a subscription box with premium full-size fashion, beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products. These aren't little tiny sample packets. They are the full-size items. FabFitFun comes out once each season, and it retails for $49.99, but we've got an offer code for you to get $10 off your first box. You're going to go to FabFitFun.com and use the coupon code BOOKS, big surprise there, uh, BOOKS to get uh, your $10 off, so you'll only pay $39.99 for your first box. Every box has a value of over $200, and the welcome box, which is what you'll get when you subscribe now, is worth over $300. The boxes are always packed with tons of stuff, full-size stuff, that you can use, not just little travel samples and postcards and a whole bunch of advertising, but actual real stuff that you want to use. Uh, boxes include jewelry and 
Uh, there's an anti-aging serum, which I'm so all over. Um, there's hairspray, uh, nail polish, earbuds, gift cards on online boutique, and so much more. I don't want to spoil the whole thing by telling you, you know, what's in it because it's fun to get stuff in the mail and be surprised. Um, there's no squirrels, though, just so you know. Um, uh, FabFitFun tries really hard to get something in each box for fashion, beauty, fitness, and lifestyle. So there's a little bit of everything in every box. Each box has a great variety of actually useful and interesting items. If you want in or you'd like to gift this to a woman in your life, go to FabFitFun.com and use the offer code BOOKS. You get $10 off your first box, and it lets them know you came from all the books and helps us keep the lights on, and hopefully brings them back as sponsors to the show again, so everybody wins. So thanks to them for sponsoring this week. Yay! My turn! Your turn! Okay, I love this book so much! So, my next book is <laughs> <Right>? called Jane... <laughs> Sorry, I can't help it. It's called Jane Steele by Lindsay Fay. Uh, this is from Putnam. And this is a reimagining of Jane Eyre. If Jane... But the main character is a ser- serial killer. <laughs> so, uh, everything about this is amazing. And it is so in my wheelhouse that I have just written wheelhouse across the cover of this book. Um, so, it's not... A literal retelling. The book is about a girl named Jane Steele, and Jane Steele's favorite book is Jane Eyre, but her life also mirrors Jane Eyre's life. So she quotes Jane Eyre a lot in the book, and she talks a lot about how this also happens in my favorite book, Jane Eyre, sort of a thing. Um, and it takes place in, a, in about the same time. You get the impression that Jane Eyre has kind of come out just a few years before the book starts. So it's right around that like Victorian English era. So Jane Steele, the main character, is, is an orphan. Uh, her father is a mystery. Her mother has committed suicide. And her aunt sends her off to um, a horrible, uh, what you call it, boarding school, just like Lowood in, uh, in Jane Eyre. And so she, through a series of events, kills a lot of people uh, throughout the course of her telling the story of her life. But she like only kills... Do. Yeah, as one does. But she kills um, her. The first person that she murdered is attempting to rape her. Then she murders someone who's like attempting to rape her friend. Then she murders a man who beats his wife so much that she has more than one miscarriage kind of thing. So she she murders uh, men who are using their position of privilege in Victorian English society to abuse women in horrifying ways. So that's what kind of serial killer she is. She's kind of this vigilante. And she's a little bit sociopathic. She she knows that what she's doing is uh, morally not good, um, if depending on who you ask, I suppose. But she knows that technically what she's doing is morally not good, but she doesn't actually feel much like guilt about it. So she's a really fascinating character. Um, and then she comes to find out she's like surviving in London, writing these really macabre, um, like final confessions of people who are being hanged, sort of stuff that she sells on the street. But then she discovers that her aunt has died and her childhood home, which she thought she was supposed to inherit, has gone to a distant um, distant relative through eight sets of marriage or whatever named Mr. Charles Thornfield because of course and he is looking for a governess for his ward so she takes the job not telling him who she really is and she goes to see to find, try and find out who this guy is and if she is the actual heir to her aunt's home her childhood home and if she is what she can do to get it back if it's rightfully hers so half the book is her uh life before meeting mr thornfield and then the last half is after she meets him 
And he is himself a fascinating character. He's an army doctor who has not lived in England for most of his adult life. Um, he has a butler named Sardar, who is a Sikh, who he has brought back from uh, India. And his ward is not white either. She's a Sikh as well. And um, he's gotten rid of all of the English servants and replaced them all with Sikh servants. And so Jane is very out of her element culturally in the house, but she ends up befriending all of them. It's a very diverse it uh, an interesting the way that she handles diversity in the book is really fascinating to me. And there's also an asexual character and a um, there's some LGBTQ characters, uh, which is refreshing to read in a book that takes place in Victorian England. Um, and I'm not going to tell you how it ends because spoilers, obviously. But the this isn't just in my wheelhouse because it's Jane Eyre and Jane Eyre is my favorite book or because it's super feministy in a vigilante way, which I love. But it's also at like a sentence level. The writing is amazing. I read it with a pen. I couldn't put it down. I underlined eight million things, one in every page. Like Lindsay Faye can write a sentence and that's super important to me. Um, anyway, so check it out. It's Jane Steele by Lindsay Faye. It's so awesome. I love it so much. It's like Dexter meets Jane Eyre. Yes. And she's so good. She's so like, I pushed him off a bridge. Whatever. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah. It he deserved it. <laughs> he yes. did deserve it. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, my last book of the day is called Confessions by Robbie Jaber. I hope I said that right. Um, if it, it wouldn't be a show if I didn't mess something up at least once. Um, mm -hmm. It's translated by Kareem James Abu Zaid. And it is the winner of the International Prize for Arabic Fiction. Um, it's just this really jarring, powerful meditation on war and forgiveness. Uh, it, the first line in the book is, My father used to kidnap and kidnap people and kill them. Which is quite a sentence to, mm. to lead with. Um, and he mentions this sentence several times throughout the book. It takes place in Lebanon. Um, and the narrator recounts how when he was five years old, he was riding in the car with his parents. And they were going through a checkpoint. And... Uh, Things happened, it escalates, and his parents end up being shot to death um, in their car. Uh, he stumbles out of the car. He himself has been shot, um, and the people who shot his parents, uh, one of the assassins, uh, takes him home and nurses him to health and adopts him. Um, and he is kind of replacing this man's own lost son. His son had been kidnapped and murdered years before. Um, it's just like a spiral of violence. Like his father was a peaceful man, or his adopted father was a peaceful man until his son was kidnapped, and now, you know, he kidnaps and kills people. Um, it's terrible. And uh, so he's raised as part of the family. He's actually given the name of the dead boy. And uh, he has an older brother who he loves and admires. His brother is, is very nice to him, like sticks up for him, fights bullies for him, but sometimes he gets very angry with him. Um, and he examines that, and he also has a very fragile mother who doesn't want him to play outside or do anything. Well, like, none of the children should be playing outside because there's, like, shellings and bombings, and they have to run into their safe room all the time. It's, it's horrifying. And the kids talk about, like, kidnappings and murders that they heard about, you know, like, while they're standing on the playground. They're just like, this is, like, everyday talk. Um, but his mother is, like, really worried and doesn't want him to, to be outside. And it's, like, how he lived under the shadow of the dead brother, um... You know, and there's just, like, it's so much war. There's the Two-Year War and the Hundred Days War and the Mountain War. And, you know, he's talking about what it's like knowing that, you know, his parents had been murdered and he was he was being raised and, like, how conflicted he is by that. It's, again, it's just so powerful and and amazing. Um, and, again, it's called Confessions by Robbie Jaber. Okay, my last one. So my last book is called The Study of Seduction by Sabrina Jeffries. 
Uh, this is the second book in her Sinful Suitors uh, romance series. I haven't read the first one, and I don't think that it matters. Like, I, I tend to read romance novels out of order all the time. And the only thing you're really missing is that characters that are side characters in one are main characters in another. So you might be missing, like, a little bit of the backstory of some of the side characters that are mentioned, but it doesn't matter. We, you're following, like these main characters in this book, so whatever. Um, anyway, all of that to say, you can read this without having read the first one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, the study of seduction is about two friends, Edwin Barlow, who is an earl, um, and he is friends with a woman named Lady Clarissa Lindsay, and Lady Clarissa is in a bit of trouble. She's got a stalker, a French diplomat, who will not leave her alone. He's stalking, and this is a regency, um, so it's, you know, like late 1700s. He's stalking her in every way that you could possibly stalk a person in the 1700s. He's, he shows up at parties uh, where she is. He's hiring people to tail her and keep track of her movements. He corners her in um, social situations and, like, forces her to kiss him. He, he just, like, he wants to marry her. She can't figure out why. She says no. She's um, trying really hard to just kind of move on uh, with her life without this French diplomat guy. But, um, but you know, he's, he's stalking her, and he's a powerful person, and there's not a lot that her relatives can do to stop him because he's so high up in... Um, you know, the diplomatic political world of Regency England. So uh, her brother's going out of town to take care of another problem and wants her to have somebody there watching after her while he's gone. So he asks his friend Edwin to keep an eye on Clarissa and to kind of, what's the word, squire her around so so she can continue to live her life. So she's going to keep going to all the parties she wants to go to and keep going to all the functions she wants to go to. And Edwin is going to be her... Um, Chaperone, but not in like a you need to be watched because you're a woman sort of way, just in like a friendly, you have a stalker and need someone around to help you kind of way. So he does that, but through a series of really odd events that, you know, happens in romance novels, they end up fake engaged. Edwin and Lady Clarissa have to pretend that they are engaged um, in order to try and get this French guy to leave her alone because he won't. You, like, no other excuse is making him go away. So they have to pretend to be engaged. Um, and, of course, like you do, they maybe start to like each other a little bit because when you're pretending to be engaged, you have to dance and, like, pretend to look each other in the eye in sort of heated fashions and pretend hold hands and stuff. And so maybe you're not pretending at a certain point. So there is the... It's doing that trope of friends falling in love, but there's also the added thing of what do they do about this French diplomat who is not just, um, like annoying, but is literally dangerous and, and a stalker. So there's, it's actually a really feminist romance novel. And I don't say it's actually a really feminist romance novel as if that's like an exception. Most romance novels are super feminist, uh, just throwing that out there, uh, which is why I love them. And I really liked this one. I enjoy the, um, chemistry between the two main characters, Edwin and Clarissa. Clarissa is very headstrong. Um, she's super girly, which I like, because I'm also super girly, secretly, except now I've just told thousands of people. Um, and yeah, it's a lot of fun. So that's, what was it called? The Study of Seduction by Sabrina Jeffries. Well, all right. I love it. Well, so that's what we're, we have read and what's coming out today. What are yeah. you going to read now? 
Oh, I am nominally in the middle of the third book in the Passage trilogy, uh, Justin Cronin's trilogy, Vampires and the End of the World. And it's called City of Mirrors, and it comes out in May. Um, I've been in the middle of it for a while, though. I keep, like, reading it a little bit and then putting it down. What I'm actually reading is a, I'm a judge for the Best Translated Book Award, and we've got the long list. We haven't announced it yet, but I'm rereading the long list um, in preparation for arguing with the rest of the judges about what goes on the short list. Because I like arguing. Arguing about books is my favorite. And I feel like the other judges who are all very, like, educated and brilliant and smart and are, like, translators and professors are not prepared for the amount of F-bombs they're about to get from me <laughs> about, like, Clarice Lispector. So, um. gird your loins, everybody. What are you reading now, Liberty? 18 million things, probably. No, I am going to, because, hello, I'm going to read uh, Commonwealth, the new Anne Patchett novel that comes out uh, September 13th. So excited. I don't really know anything about it, so I'm I'm looking at the description online. It says, one Sunday afternoon in Southern California, Bert Cousins shows up at Franny Keating's christening party uninvited. Like, how, how could he? How dare he? Uh, before evening the falls, gall. he has <laughs> kissed Franny's mother, Beverly, thus setting in motion the dissolution of their marriages and the joining of two families. It's going to be awesome. I love her. I worship her. She's if amazing. That's a, if that's a thing. Um, but, you know, yeah, she's the best. So, that is our show. Woo! Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks I'm for so having glad, me. I'm so glad that Rebecca's back next week. I know. It rains. I'm like, ah, I had spots. I'm so nervous. Um, thanks again to our sponsors, Third Love. Go to thirdlove.com slash books to start your free trial. Thank you to Viceland. You can go to viceland.com for more information to see trailers and to check out schedules of the shows or go look at your cable provider. Um, not in person that takes them out. Um, and also, thank you to FabFitFun. Go to FabFitFun.com and use the coupon codes BOOKS to save $10 on your first box. We're really happy to have them back this week, all of them. Uh, you can also drop us a line at all the books at BookRiot.com or hit us up on Twitter. I'm Miss Liberty. Amanda is I'm Amanda Nelson. I am Amanda Nelson. Uh, and Rebecca is Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. She'll be back next week. Um, you can also find me at Litzy. I'm completely obsessed with Litzy and tell everybody about it all the time. Uh, it's my new favorite obsession. So you can find me there as Liberty. I think you're you're on it too, aren't you? On what? Yeah. Litzy. Oh, yeah. And I, Amanda. I'm Amanda. Yeah. It's I've so never awesome. been able to get my own name on a social media platform before. Me either. That's <laughs> the most exciting part. Um, and we are so, so appreciative to all of you who listen to the show and email us and chat with us on Twitter about books. It is always such a pleasure to hear from you. I'm happy to give out some more unicorn names if, if that's a thing you want. Um, and thank you also to everyone who has taken the time to rate and review the show on iTunes. It really does help new listeners to find their way here so we can inundate them with new titles and give them unicorn names. Um, <laughs> and if you've not yet done that, we would greatly appreciate it. It helps us grow the audience and keep the lights on. And best of all, keeps us talking about books each week. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can find a list of more books out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books. And you can also find a link to the weekly new books newsletter to learn about even more books. Um, and I would like to thank the amazing Amanda Nelson for stepping in today. Check out her and Jen Northington on Get Booked Each Weeks. Each Weeks. <laughs> Whatever that is. Uh, check out Get Booked. Um, and Amanda, thank you. Woohoo! Thanks for having me. Awesome. And happy reading. Happy reading.